0: You're listening to The Peach Pit. I'm here talking with James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. Listeners of the show might remember episode 71 when I talked to James Corbett before He has been so nice as to take time to once again come on to my small little radio show podcast thing and talk to me again about how this world is going down the tubes. (laughs) (laughs) good way of putting it. Thanks for having me back on, Derek. (laughs) Uh, James, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me, and welcome back to The Pit. No problem. Pleasure to be here. Uh, I think a good place for us to begin is uh, to simply, do you miss... George Carlin, as much as
1: I do. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, oh, to have a voice uh, like that in the cultural space today. Although one wonders, one wonders if such a voice could really um, function in the same way as it did uh, even just 20 years, 20, 25 years ago. Uh, I think it would sound very different today um, than it did at that time. But yes, it's, uh, it's a sorely missed voice in today's cultural landscape. Speaking of the cultural
0: landscape, it is an uh, interesting thing to note that all of these rock stars, such as like bands like Rage Against the Machine and Tom Morello or uh, Neil Young and Joni Mitchell, these are the people who did not stand up and fight for us. But right now, it seems like the the real voice of
1: truth and reason is coming from comedians. <laughs> so yeah. interesting note. Yeah, it's a bizarre world that we've entered into where uh, things that were held to be absolute verities have been completely flipped on their head and it is interesting to note that the people who ostensibly were behind free speech and and freedom of expression back 30 40 years ago uh, are the very people who seem to be most vociferously against it today absolutely and
0: with the line of work that you do with the corbett report uh You had to have gotten over the hump of no longer being afraid to be called a conspiracy theorist, which so many of us are afraid of. We're so afraid to have the conspiracy theorist
1: label attached to us. What made you feel like you were no longer afraid of that? I'm not sure afraid is quite the right word, but it's certainly something that I have had to deal with in the entire time that I've been doing the corporate report, because, of course, it is the way that most people have been psychologically prepared to understand the types of conversations that I'm having, which is essentially questioning power and questioning people and groups that are in power and how they wield their power over society that inevitably in our day and age raises the specter of the conspiracy theorist term which is if you look at it from the broader historical perspective ridiculous there have always been ruling oligarchs cliques factions that have wielded more greater or lesser extent but still have always wielded some degree of power over society but only in the past 50 years has it been this expression of derogatory oh my god lunacy that you would even question that there's such a thing exists so if we put it in that historical perspective i think people might have a better chance of escaping that mental trap but essentially what i did uh uh, well I, i as i say i've wrestled with this term over the years and have addressed it more or less uh, explicitly um, going back to the very beginnings of the corporate report. I think episode 50 was on the other C word, talking about the conspiracy theorist label and where that phrase arose from and all of that. So I've I've talked about it over the years, but I think it was about two years ago, I released a video that just was titled, I am a conspiracy theorist, to get (laughs) away from this, because it is sort of just a rhetorical trap that people try to throw you in. Oh, you're a conspiracy theorist, by which they mean we don't have to listen to anything you say. Uh, but I think we have to disarm that phrase because it is a weapon that has been wielded against those who would question people in power. And the best way to disarm it, like so many other terms that have been used derogatorily against groups until those groups adopt those terms for themselves and start using it themselves, why can't we do that with the term conspiracy theorist? Yes, I theorize about conspiracies. And here are facts and uh, details that I use to construct my theories. And these are my hypotheses. And let's test them against reality. Let's make it into the scientific enterprise that that term might actually connote or if not denote. So uh, at any rate, that's the way I've decided to embrace the term rather than be afraid of it.
0: Absolutely. And maybe you hit uh, a really good point, I think, where we maybe need to just claim back the
1: language and take advantage of using the language for ourselves instead of letting it be used against us. Exactly right. Um, It's been used many times by many oppressed groups over the centuries, really, um, and certainly from our own recent past. So why not use it in this case as well?
0: The next question I was going to ask you was, how do you deconstruct the news as to understand it? Could you give us a, just basically, if I was going to get a news story that I didn't get or understand where it was coming from, how could, what are some of the
1: simple ways that somebody could just dig it apart, pull it apart and try to figure out the real truth? <laughs> I think the problem with that question is embedded in the phrase simple, <laughs> because I'm afraid right. it is not a simple process. And there is no easy one, two, three cookie cutter recipe for coming to the truth on a subject, especially one uh, of any real political and geopolitical and economic import it's going to be crowded and clouded by several layers of obfuscation and you're probably never going to get an unvarnished truth simply presented uh, in its its raw form you're probably going to get spin and bias from one side or another in one way or another so the question is how do you how do you start to balance out those biases and try to arrive at something more more akin to the truth and i would say that the way to do that really is about context contextualizing information because information by itself is virtually useless but information in a context can paint a narrative can paint a picture can start to reveal something deeper about what the significance of that information Um, so the real the real task duty i think of people in this day and age where information is abundant but wisdom and understanding of that information unfortunately is as always in limited supply our our task is to cast our net widely to look at different sources of information to try to triangulate uh, information so that when we get a piece of raw data even if that raw data is verifiably true such and such took place in such and such location today What does that mean? And for that, you're going to have to approach it from different sides, get some different takes. And eventually that can be overwhelming at first. But I think it is a process that as you follow news stories and if you concentrate on something like if, for example, you're interested in Ukraine right now. Well, it would certainly help if you'd had been looking at Ukraine for, say, the last 10 or 20 or 30 years. But if you start today then over the course of time, as you accumulate more data from more different sources, you will start to come to a better understanding of what's happening there. As I say, that's not a simple process. There's no snap your fingers and it'll happen overnight. But uh, I think it is a process. Unfortunately, we are increasingly being asked to take upon for ourselves Uh, So that we don't get railroaded into making our identity about whatever the passing fad of the moment is, whether that be COVID or blue and yellow flags or whatever happens to be in the news this week. Uh, If we don't want our identity to be subsumed by what the media is telling us uh, we should be subsumed by, we have to start constructing that reality for ourselves. In order to do that, we have to reach out widely to a lot of different sources of information.
0: And, and speaking of uh, all that happening right now, I, I remember just before the pandemic happened, we were seeing lots of scary v- images and videos coming out of China, and that is exactly what's happening right now. We're seeing lots of scary images and footages coming out of China, and I don't know
1: how much I can believe or what's go- really going on. What, what do you think of all what's going on in China? You know, actually, that is a good case in point of what I was just talking about, because, yes, you can see some of the images and videos that are being passed around on social media of various things that are taking place, for example, in the lockdown city of Shanghai right now what do we really know about that and what what is the context that helps us to understand those images and whether or not they are even are these real or are they being presented in a in a in the proper context or what does this mean so again it's the sort of thing that just looking at individual posts you probably won't Really understand what's happening, but looking as you cast your net wider and look at more and more different sources, you might start to get a handle on it. Essentially, the I I suppose the raw data of the situation is that of uh, of the hundred largest cities in China. uh, I believe it was over ninety percent of them are now at some form of lockdown, some more strict than others. And Shanghai, I think, infamously at this point, has been remarkably strictly locked down for over a month now and even delivery of food to people who have been isolated is becoming more difficult and uh, people are starting to reach some sort of snapping point but to what extent can we understand that from the outside probably not very much because of course any information coming out of China is going to be limited um by government censors and and others and then of course on the other side of that equation there are people with geopolitical interests in casting china as always the the prime evil in the world and so there, there will be bias and spin from certain sources on that what we can say is that china the chinese communist party that runs the chinese government has explicitly adopted a zero covid policy which is resulting in tens of millions of people being locked down at at the the stroke of a pen and in extremely harsh conditions. And it was indeed China that set up a lot of the infrastructure and and modeled the infrastructure of the biosecurity state that we've seen rolled out in country after country around the world over the past two years, including the idea of the QR codes to essentially allow or disallow access or even egress from your own neighborhood. Uh, Well, if you're code on this screen is red then you don't get to move past this line and it'll it will be enforced with uh jackbooted thugs so that infrastructure has been put in place it is being reflected in a zero covid policy whereby the vast majority of uh, people who are testing positive in shanghai right now are completely asymptomatic literally all it is is a test that says they have it and they they're instantly isolated taken to these mass quarantine centers so china is continuing to set the model for the biosecurity state that unfortunately is now being hardwired into international law as we speak they're starting to talk about the who global pandemic treaty that will start to make give some teeth to the uh the sort of ad hoc biosecurity restrictions we've seen imposed in in a number of countries around the world in the past couple of years I
0: think I've, I need to take a second to go into what you just said because I have not heard anything about this. So
1: the WHO, the treaty what is what is that? So the uh, I believe it was last year it would the idea was floated, I'm sure just spontaneously and out of the ether as these things do. The idea was floated uh, and was uh, especially um, uh, put forward by the European Union Commission. Um, The idea that there needs to be a global pandemic treaty of some sort to institutionalize, to hardwire in uh, some of the uh, things that, as I say, have been ad hoc responses so far. And we've seen this, for example, with certain countries closing down borders to certain other countries at certain times, and then different countries having different restrictions based on tests and or vaccines and this kind of mishmash. Uh, Well, there has to be some sort of more organized, formally organized response to this. And what body would be in a better position to do so than to create the type of pandemic treaty that will hardwire the response to these these future pandemics that we know are about to happen what better body to do that than the world health organization so uh starting this summer i believe there is the the draft report that's going to be written um by a body about which there are remarkably few details uh, publicly available at this time, that is going to present a report to the WHO for its consideration. And that is uh, according to a timetable that the European Union itself has put out recently, that is going to be formalized in a treaty that will likely be Uh, ratified, well, at least put forward uh, next year or 2024 and then ratified by individual countries after that. The point about this that is, I think, concerning or should be concerning is that this is de facto world government. Uh, World Health Organization because it has virtually every country in the world there are a few holdouts but virtually every country in the world is a signatory to the WHO so if such a pandemic global pandemic treaty were to uh, go into effect and take place and Put certain restrictions on, you know, if if such and such an outbreak occurs, such and such a country will have to lock down its borders and will have to contain its citizens and will have to allow WHO pandemic response teams and blah, blah, blah. Uh, th- that would essentially be hardwired into the laws of all of the signatory countries. Uh, doing an end run around any sort of actual passage of laws through the legislatures or reform of constitution or anything along those lines, it would simply be part of the the treaty and thus circumvent all of those things. So I think what we are seeing is really the creation of a de facto world government, just piecemeal, and it won't be called world government, but that's essentially what's happening right now.
0: Wow, I'm really glad I asked you about that. (laughs) I feel like we need to fast forward to Ukraine right now because that seems to be like the number one thing that we're hearing all over the news. Our government is telling us we have to stand with Ukraine and uh, democracy is under attack and everything like that. But (laughs) I remember when, as soon as this, this is the same thing that we were just talking about. As soon as the video started coming out, I was seeing videos from Palestine from 2015. I was seeing videos from Romania from, from years ago. I've seen lots of listening things. And then at the same time, I hear about how there's financial institutions that won't forgive their debt. So what is going on in Ukraine? And are there neo-Nazis
1: over there? Uh, Are there neo-Nazis in Ukraine? Yes, there are. Uh, To what extent they have ultimate power over the Ukrainian government is something that various, I mean, again, it's one of those things you're going to have to triangulate through looking at a number of different sources and different uh, sources will put the stress on different places. But are there neo-Nazi brigades operating within the ukrainian national guard there certainly are and i think that's demonstrable the only question is the uh the sort of level of power that they hold but what is ultimately happening in ukraine is uh as as much as i said it before it certainly uh we have to triple underline it for the ukraine situation we I, as people on the outside, I I don't know about you, but I I've never even been to Ukraine. I don't I don't have any direct sources or contacts in Ukraine, so everything that I get is from that place is for, from media, from mediated reality. So what does that mean when I see, even if they were there are identifiable photos and videos and interviews and things taking place in Ukraine with Ukrainians? To what extent is this information being filtered? Uh, who is deciding who to talk to or who not to talk to? Where to point the camera, etc.? cetera. Um, these are the types of things that, again, have to be triangulated for us to come to any sort of grip on what's really happening there, which is precisely why I am trusting, uh, I'm not trusting any of the information that I'm receiving out of Ukraine on site. Uh, again, it's a question of whether I can independently confirm from multiple different sources and then trying to figure out what's actually happening there. But I think it is important to note Um, That in a stunning, really stunning admission um, that uh, NBC News of all places came out with last week, Uh, they had an article headlined, in a break with the past, U.S. is using intel to fight an info war with Russia. Even when the intel isn't rock solid, by which they mean, even when they don't really know what's happening, they'll just come out and say it and (laughs) will use that as a weapon against Russia in this info war that they're fighting, or at least that's the way they're framing it. But of course, one of the, uh, the obvious implications of that is that part of the info war is being waged against the citizens of the US and Canada and the Western world generally, who are receiving this faulty or at any rate, not rock solid intelligence. And are there, obviously, this is being done to manipulate public opinion. So we, uh, even by their own admission, again, this is not conspiracy theory. This is conspiracy fact. It's even being reported by NBC News. Now, again, what does that mean? You'll have to look to multiple different sources and and sort of parse out what the ultimate implication of that is. But one of the uh, direct obvious things that we can take from that is that we cannot trust on site, anything that is being claimed by U.S. officials or others uh, about what's happening in Ukraine, which again, unfortunately, no one wants to hear that because everyone would love the answer to be, oh, if you just listen to this source, you will get the true and unvarnished truth about what's happening on the ground. Uh, Unfortunately, it doesn't quite work like that. And we have to work for information um, rather than allow others to dictate it to us. And with being a Canadian, I'm sure that you
0: got pretty proud when you saw the Freedom Convoy roll up on Ottawa and saw those protests that were happening. And then you must have been pretty angry when you saw how our prime minister and our government responded
1: to that protest. Uh, what do you think of the VARES data? Uh, I, the VARS data is, at the very least, it is something. It is a tool, however crude, that at the very least we can use to uh, identify trends that are happening so for people who don't know this is the vaccine adverse events reporting system that in the u.s is used to at least get a handle on the direction of uh or the magnitude of events that are taking place in the rollout of vaccines or in the administration of them. So, uh, as has been pointed out before, and there has been research on this, I won't be able to cite it off the top of my head, but people can look it up. In the past, they have estimated something like um, there is a hundred adverse events for every one that is reported to veers. It is, if anything, vastly underestimating. The, uh, the the real effects of various vaccines and which is now, scary it, it, now we're being asked to believe that it's just total fake and uh, we don't we shouldn't believe any of it uh it, it is unverified information it's not like there is some sort of government official coming in and, and looking at each claim on veers so to that extent we can't just take veers at face value but if it's anywhere even close to the ballpark of reality we should. We should be very concerned about um, what Veers is telling us about the rollout of the new, well, experimental medical interventions that they are calling vaccines, the mRNA technology especially. Um, there is clearly, there is signs in that Veers data that something very different is taking place than in the rollout of various other vaccines. And in any other situation, in any situation where we were talking about the rolling out of a brand new vaccine, generally that process takes five, ten Sometimes longer uh, years for that to take place, but suddenly we're being asked uh, to, because of the emergency situation, to upend all of that and to accept these vaccines that are being placed. Uh, in front of the public in in mere months, really. Um, it's absolutely astounding, and it breaches every protocol. Um, there are a lot of worrying signs. Veers is one of them. Um, the the adverse events that uh, have been pried out of the big pharma companies um, from their own internal documents that they tried to keep under seal for 75 years or whatever the actual time they were <laughs> trying was, uh, that's disturbing. Um, various reports uh, from, for example, coroners, life insurers, and others talking about the very precipitous rise in what is being reported undoubtedly as COVID deaths, but um, which seem to be attributable more to vaccines. There's a lot of worrying signs out there. So at any rate, um, I, I'd, I wouldn't put 100% trust in every single thing that is being reported on virus, but insofar as it represents a trend that is identifiably taking place, uh, it certainly should be cause for concern for people.
0: I have one last question for you if you have time. Let's do it. All right. This might be the scariest question I've ever asked a guest on my show. (laughs) Before this pandemic happened, there was a popular meme that was going around on the internet. Epstein didn't kill himself. And I thought for the first time, this is like a real conspiracy theory getting into the mainstream. People were sharing it everywhere. Epstein didn't kill himself memes were absolutely everywhere. And now it's all kind of hush hush. And the Ghislaine Maxwell trial is kind of really weird and kind of hush hush. And I just kind of wonder what is
1: going on. I mean, is there a, an elite human trafficking ring? What the hell? <laughs> uh, well, indeed there is. And in fact, that's exactly what the Epstein case demonstrably showed in a ver- in the bald spotlight of public uh, interest. There was no doubt about what that case was and what happened and what, uh, what it implied about what was happening on a much larger scale. And as you say... I, I think it was widely understood and known at the time that the significance of that information, but was largely, if not covered, well covered up. I suppose, yes, um, I, that's one way of looking at what happened. At any rate, it has certainly been completely removed from the public conversation. And as you say, it was it was a very popular meme at the time. It's gone like yesterday's newspaper. It's just gone. And one of the one of the most disturbing things about the entire Ghislaine Maxwell trial is that absolutely no one else has been charged or implicated or brought to justice as a result of the information that presumably came out of the information that was raided by the FBI from Epstein, which we know did, to some extent, include contact with very high-level officials in various countries and high-level businessmen and governors of states and other, other such people, and yet absolutely none of that information is being revealed to the public, and no one is being brought, uh, no additional charges are being brought based on that information, which I think shows how firmly this has been swept under the rug. None of this will be new to conspiracy realists who have been looking at this information for very long. I've I, I was talking about the Epstein uh, scandal in 2015 and others for long, long before that. So this isn't new information. It was just that uh, the revelation of that information on a wide scale was definitely new and potentially an actual threat to the power structure. So that's, I think, the obvious reason why it was covered up so thoroughly and so quickly. The short answer to the question, is there an elite humor? has there been an elite human trafficking ring operating yes demonstrably so um to what extent and you know which are the particular individuals that that we could uh point the finger at involved with that we certainly have a lot of clues from such things as the epstein scandal other scandals that have come out over the years the franklin uh, Boys Town scandal and other things along those lines but unfortunately the people who tend to investigate that are either completely smeared and s- sidelined with that conspiracy theorist smear or uh end up going missing or or dead or what have you so uh there needs to be um, more public interest in that subject generally to continue to hold that uh the the feet to the fire uh in these kinds of cases um rather than to be led along by by the nose by the next whatever the next breaking news scandal is in and uh for for this to be forgotten And with that, I'd like to remind anyone listening to this
0: who's Canadian, uh, since this is a Canadian radio show, if you think the Canadian government is clean of this, I'll just remind you that Justin Trudeau's best friend from college was arrested in a bust of a pedophile ring, as well as a UN UN official, Peter Daglish, who was arrested in Nepal with pedophilia charges. James Corbett, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me. Thank you so much for being a continuing voice of reason in this crazy world through everything you've done in alternative media. It's been so inspiring to watch you day after day, just be sober and and calm and just telling us the facts for what they are instead of flapping your arms around and getting red in the face and stuff like that. I don't know how you do it, but keep doing it. You do great work. And anyone listening to this, please go check out
1: CorbettReport.com. James Corbett, thank you so much. Thank you, and thank you for doing what you do, and uh, I I appreciate that very much, continuing to keep this information out there in, in front of the Canadian public. It's now more important than ever, as I know you know.
0: I definitely do know. Thank you for listening, everybody.